That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Welcome back to another Celtics pod. We didn't drop an episode on Friday because I've been flued up. I ain't been well, guys. I'm back on my feet now. Still not 100%. But we're here to give you some Celtics content. We're recording this roughly an hour, maybe just over an hour after the Celtics squeeze past the Oklahoma City Thunder. I know we haven't discussed the trade deadline yet. We're going to be doing a special on that later in the week, simply because we're giving the players time to actually start performing for their new teams before we start analysing and forming opinions on who were the biggest winners and losers. Even though I think we already know that in our own heart of hearts who they were. We'll also, look, sure. at the, we'll also look at the buyout market later in the week as well. As usual, I'm Adam Taylor. You can find me over at Celtics Blog. And I'm joined by my co-host, Tim. How you doing today, Tim, bro? Doing all right, man. How you holding up? Yeah, I'm getting there, dude. Still a bit coffee. So, you know, weather's been terrible here. We've got a storm going on right now. So, uh, batting down the hatches and wait for that to get done. Oh, for sure. So, it's technically, I'm talking to the past right now. It's just gone past midnight, my time at recording of this. So, if I start to sound drowsy, it's because I am. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll start by looking at the Oklahoma game. I was really impressed with the four guys, the four main guys, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba and Gordon. I've gave them a nickname. I'm going to be using that nickname from now until the end of the year. So if you don't like it, please let me know. Otherwise, it's going to stay. I'm going to be calling those four the four horsemen. It's a gem, man. I seriously like that nickname. I ain't puppy your tires either. That's just, just a solid nickname. <laughs> Yeah, and it's true, right? I mean, the reason I come up with it was obviously just four of them, so it's quite self-explanatory on a surface level. But then when you start looking at it, each one of them can do something that the other one can't, and each one of them's capable of killing off a game at any given point. So having those four guys healthy in a game against a team as resilient and as deadly effective as what the Thunder have been lately has been great. Because... I don't think I think if one of those four were weren't in that lineup today, then I don't think we come out victorious. Certainly not, based on how guys were shooting. Uh, this is one of the first games we've had Kemba back. We had him back versus the Hawks, but he's still a little bit rough around the edges. He's still getting back into the swing of things. I do have to say, Gordon Hayward, while he didn't light up in terms of points, he was hyper efficient. Five for ten from the field, two for four from three, and he ended up snagging. 10 rebounds, seven defensive, three offensive. We had three guys who had 10 or more rebounds in Gordon Hayward, Daniel Tice, Jason Tatum. Tatum almost had another 30-point game, 10 for 19 from the field, and four for seven from three. Jalen also chipped in 17 points on seven for 17. So it was all around a really good performance. You still had five guys, actually, yeah, five guys who had 10 or more points, um, three guys, two guys who were 20 plus points. So this was a good showing, especially against an OKC team that's really coming out and turning some heads. I think the Thunder are a lot better than a lot of people expected. And I said as much before in messages before we hopped on tonight, but it's crazy to think now, even with this loss, the Oklahoma City Thunder have the same record as the Philadelphia 76ers. Let that sit for a second. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy, right? If anybody had said that, if you could have put a bet on that and that, for like today's date specifically, the odds on that would have been astronomically good. I mean, we'd be sitting here booking tickets to 
the Caribbean now with a five-star hotel. I mean, it was just so unlikely to happen. SGA has really continued improving. I was really impressed with him. I like watching SGA play. Hyper-efficient too. Dude, he's Super just so efficient. good. Like I saw him when he was still on the Clippers um, on his rookie year. I was out in LA, went to watch him, and he was good. He was really raw. It was one of the first games of the season, so he was still getting acclimated to the way the league was. But if I knew now, if I knew then what I knew now about how good he was, I would have made more of an effort to actually, like, I don't know, get a signature or, you know, shake his hand or do something, right? Um, he's. How can I put it? I think it was Scal that said it that was like playing alongside Chris Paul's really elevated him. And you can see that. I mean, there was times where he was drawing contact off guys like Tice just from his body control driving. And that's going to be something that the Celtics need to be aware of when they're playing guys that like to drive the lanes like that. They seem very susceptible at the moment, not just in this game, but throughout the season of giving up easy fouls from guys that know how to turn their shoulder at the last moment when going up for layups. They definitely are good with that too. Like, Chris Paul is notorious for drawing fouls. Yeah, and this is something they need to be aware of. I mean, it's a very hard thing to stop. Um, When guys are driving like that, you need to get in front of them to contest the shot, to slow them down as well, right? And then try and take the passing lane away in case they need to bail out. By doing that, you're going to be opening yourself up to a foul. Now, I've always been, I'm from like the the 90s era basketball, so I've always been, I'd rather give up the foul than give up the two points because they could miss a free throw. So I'm fine with that. But it is a point of weakness that the Celtics have shown on multiple occasions. When guys drive deep into the lanes and and the defense starts to collapse, they do get very scramble. Scramble-esque would be a good way of putting it where they're really struggling to keep their rotations moving and stay in front of the guy. It's been a a narrative that I've noticed from them pretty much all year, and the majority of last year too. That's what ended up when, remember when last year we were just getting blown out by random guards every game? It was like some end-of-the-bench scrub would just go for 30. Yeah. And it was this. It was a similar thing. They were driving into the teeth of the defense, causing reactions, and then picking them apart. And it's something that's happening again this year. Personally, it's just an observation I've made. I don't know how they're going to fix it because they've got fantastic defense, um, defensive players. It's just going to be more moving your feet. And SGA is going to make guys, whether it be the Celtics or wherever he's playing in the West, you've got to move your feet and get in front of him and start drawing some charges. It's just a coaching thing. I think it just waters down to that. Uh, one thing I will notice as much as like, he had a great game against the Hawks, uh, Romeo Langford definitely got targeted. Definitely got targeted. He had a couple plays specifically where you had Dennis Schroeder and you had Chris Paul going against him and drawing a little bit of body contact and getting the foul. That's going to happen at the end of the day to rookies just because you're new in the league. If a veteran guard is going to be going at you, especially one that is offensive-oriented like Chris Paul or like Dennis Schroeder, as soon as they get any kind of contact, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. So one thing Langford's going to have to do is just try and be a little bit more consistent defensively. But this is not something we haven't seen or isn't unheard of when it comes to rookies. Uh, Robert Williams is very much guilty of this, leaving the ground when you're making a defensive stop. If you're trying to you know, get a block on somebody or trying to contest a three-pointer, as soon as you leave the ground, 
If your guy, if your guy's there on the three point line, you're going towards him. He's going to lean and get some contact and get a foul. It happened a couple times. And uh, another guy who's been very foul prone is Daniel Tice. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't going to be make or break in this game. The Celtics had the rebound battle in hand. So you just got to be careful when it comes down to it. it it's something that's just going to be drilled into them technique wise. This isn't a game that was going to kill them, but it got a little bit closer down in the end of the game, more close than I'd want it to be, especially because of those fouls. I mean, there was a time earlier in the year when Daniel Tice was just getting a rough whistle, dude. Uh, it was really hard to watch at certain points. Brendan and I spoke about it uh, at considerable length over multiple podcasts earlier in the season. Just every time Daniel Tice was in front of somebody, the whistle would go. Uh, that's kind of come back around now, and it seems a little bit more fair. Talking of Tice, just to kind of move forwards with the conversation, that guy is just becoming so integral on the offensive end, dude. The way, uh, the way they're using him. He's like a fulcrum, right? They're using him in every pivot. If you want the ball to move from one side of the floor to the other, it's, it's touching Tice's hands halfway through. The way he's orchestrating that offense, he's, had, he's running DHOs, he's running pick and rolls, pick and pops, and he's sealing his guys so well when he rolls to the hoop to allow drives. I genuinely don't think that there's a player on this team that's outside of the top five guys so that's the four horsemen plus smart that is more integral at the moment I really believe that he's elevating this team's play just because of the stuff he's doing that isn't showing up in the box score he learned from Horford oh absolutely uh there was a couple instances where he was setting screens to the top of the key and he just they'll set him up at right at the top of the three-point line right at that top of the arc and he does so many pick handoff, pick handoff, ball gets back to him. Okay, they reset and they end up getting a drive off of it. If it weren't for the fact that he just sets really sound screens, he's a good passer, like all the technique stuff, all the little things he's doing right. And he had a double-double, I'm pretty sure. 13 points, uh, 5 for 11 from the field, and he had 11 rebounds. So The thing is, like you say, when they're getting drives off that, he's rolling with them to seal their defense. So as he's sealing the guy, he's just opening that lane up for whoever's driving. It's usually Kemba or JT. Uh, Jayla Brown's been a very big beneficiary of those drives because he'll find himself in space in the corners or just inside of the elbow and the mid-range. Um, he's deadly from either of those, and he can run. If you run him off the line, he's going to dunk on you too. But it's all starting with running the ball through Tice at the top. Uh, there's been times this year I've seen Cantor run it as well. But Tice seems to be the primary option now when it comes to running any sort of DHO or pick play. They're also running double stacks a lot. Did you notice that? They've run it quite regularly. They're running it against uh, Oklahoma earlier today. Yeah, I did notice that. I definitely feel they're trying to figure out how to get all these guys integrated. And I feel like they're just trying to do anything they can to get everyone on the same page. So it's the difficult, is- yeah. When you, run a, when you run a double stack, if you've got two playmakers on the floor, which the Celtics usually always do, you can drag that double, stra- double stack out, hit the big man on the roll who can then f- um, keep the ball moving and dish it out to your other playmaker on the other side of the floor, which is going to catch the defense stuck in, the, like basically rooted to the ground as they change direction. And the space that that opens up and the time it allows for a shot or that extra pass to be made, that's what they're running a lot. You'll notice it. They'll start on the weak, on the strong side, run a double stack, hit Tice on the roll, who will then throw the ball out to the, what was the weak side, 
And there's so much space available to hit that corner free or to make that extra pass usually back to the top for Tatum to take that free that the defense just can't react quick enough. And it's those little plays that are being run over and over again that teams can't, they can't stop it because the minute you start sagging off a guy that's running off that double stat screen and he hits the roll man, the roll man's going to score. Or if Kemba's coming off that double stack and starts to drag and notices you're sagging, he's going to pull up or drive to the hoop. There's too many offensive weapons on this team to be able to stop them all when they're playing like they were today and recently in general. This is the one instance where I kind of compare this team a little bit to the old school Warriors. Um, Seems old school because it's only been a few years, but the fact that they've got four guys who at any given moment can go off, can shoot the three, can handle the ball, can drive to the hoop, can do all those little things oh so well. And then they have a guy like Daniel Tice that just is the glue that holds them together at center. They just have so many different weapons. This is the one reason why having Gordon Hayward, even though he is a luxury to have another all-star caliber wing, it's just huge because at any given moment, you can just have him handling the ball. And I, ha- I still have yet to see him make a genuinely bad decision. The one thing I could say tonight that it would hold against him a little bit is he should have held the ball a little bit more um, on that last possession before he got stripped. That was the one thing. He should have been trying to nurse a foul instead of going up for the shot. But other than that, I mean, he's been playing very strong basketball, and he really is going to be a big difference maker. On top of Daniel Tice and what he does at the center spot, that kind of versatility he gives you, Gordon Hayward has just been coming along so nicely, and we're starting to see what we actually paid for with that max contract. Yeah, and it took some time, dude. I mean, the Celtics had to nurse him back to health twice, effectively. Um, They had to nurse him back to health throughout last year just because he had that surgery during training camp. And then to hurt his hand and then have that foot reoccurrence this year. He's done great to get back to the level he's playing at now. I'm really excited to see what he's capable of during the playoffs, but there's a lot of basketball to play between now and then, so let's not jinx anything. Absolutely not. (laughs) I'm knocking on all the wood I've got near me. (laughs) Another good point to bring up is the fact that, according to reports over social media, Time Lord should be looking to come back around about the beginning of March, end of February, beginning of March. That's going to be a huge impact as well on the team's defensive abilities. I'm so excited about that. I cannot begin to express how excited I am. Before the season began, I saw Time Lord as being a very integral part of this team's defense. He's an exciting young player. You know, when he came into the league, we were all talking about how he was a projected lottery talent that ended up falling to the Celtics in the 20s. He's one of those guys that can be a real difference maker if he pans out right. The big questions for him was, I know he had concerns about, I believe it was some kind of circulation issue in his knees, as well as his work ethic. I don't think there's any question about his work ethic anymore. This kind of team is going to need him. He's a bouncy, bouncy big man who can dunk. He gets way above the rim. The only thing he really needs to do is make sure that his health is taken care of, that his conditioning is right, and that he's taking care of all the little things. He's doing all the technical things right. Because if he brings that extra dimension, you're eliminating a lot of the concerns we had at the four and five. You know, if you're able to trot out a lineup where you, you know, you're running out your bench unit and you've got Daniel Tice at the four and you've got time load at the five, that's a really strong defensive presence at the four and five. If you can eliminate those mental mistakes on time Lord's part. And that's a big thing. That's a big thing for a team like this, especially where we are financially right now, where we're 
kind of looking down the barrel of a gun with Gordon Hayward coming up in the summer, having a cost-effective big man between Tice and Time Lord, that would be huge for this team's ceiling. Another one to look at is I, I don't envision Tice spending much time at the four with the second unit simply because I feel like Grant Williams has played well enough to earn that role. That's also fair too. He didn't get as much run as I would have wanted against Oklahoma City, but based on how the core four plus Daniel Tice played, all those guys had 30 or more minutes today. This was as much of a playoff preview as you can get. Uh, Kemba Walker had some comments about that after the game, but the Thunder are a very good team, and this was a tough road win. Uh, despite the fact that we didn't expect this kind of season from the Thunder, they are a very good team, especially with Chris Paul, who I would argue is probably, if not a top 10, a top 5 MVP candidate because nobody saw this season kind of happen in, in OKC. Another guy we need to look at is Danilo Gallinari and the way he was playing, especially early in the game. He was having his way early in the game. He was scoring from deep. He was turning off guys and getting to the hoop. The adjustments they made did make life difficult for him as the game wore on. But he's also been another guy to really contribute this year and really show what he's about, considering he's had so many injuries and he struggled a little bit due to those when he was in a Clippers uniform. He's also just an offensive weapon. And I can't begin to emphasize this any more than I already have, but... I'm very happy he's not in a Miami Heat uniform. The fact that you don't have to face him in the Eastern Conference playoffs is huge. He is a lights-out shooter. I remember last season there was a game against the Clippers where he just didn't miss. Him and Lou Williams just did not miss. Those guys punish you from three-point arc. And he was three for six today, eight for 14 overall from the field. So he chips in some big buckets. He's a guy that I would not envy having to go against in the playoffs. And that's really what makes the Thunder so dangerous. And that's why this matchup in particular was difficult. He's a guy who's got size, who can get buckets with ease. And to be honest, you know, if he, if he can stay healthy and keep it together for the playoffs, it makes the Thunder a serious threat. I don't know who they're going to end up with depending on how they bump into the seeds, but they could very well surprise some people in the playoffs. They're not a team that I envy, especially going against a team with Chris Paul at the head of it. Another, the last thing, last point I want to make before we go to break, and then when we come back, we'll look ahead to the next game, is for me, this game was a very good case in point in why the Celtics didn't need Steven Adams. I feel like when you were seeing him, he does just look like a more mobile version of Enes Kanter. Um, obviously, more athletic, but the same deficiencies were happening to him as what had happened to Ennis once you put him in the pick and roll or draw him out into the perimeter he loses his effectiveness on D there were times on offense he was grabbing the board and was struggling to put them back uh, same way Cantor does I just I really do feel like the way he played today was exactly what you'd expect to see from him if he was in a Celtics uniform and he definitely wouldn't have been the guy to elevate this roster for sure especially based on his money at one point during the game, I'm saying to myself, I can't believe how much he's getting paid. You know, He's a very good player. I think he's a very solid player. That being said, he's the only player on the Oklahoma City roster that had 10 or more boards. Celtics had three guys who had 10-plus boards, as I said earlier. The Celtics are definitely going more for a team defense as opposed to one guy getting all the rebounds. You've got two or three guys combining for all the rebounds. Steven Adams is one of those guys who I like very much, but 
he's an outdated big man. You know, he can't really shoot. He's not a jump shooter. A lot of his points are going to come in the paint. And today he struggled two for 10 from the field. So if he's not getting those points in the paint that are easy put back buckets, then why do you have a guy like that? Why are you paying that guy so much money? And I mean, granted the Thunder signed him a long time ago, but this is the same argument that could be made about Andre Drummond. You know, you're not going to be going ahead and going to get a guy who's getting paid 20 plus million dollars a year to just get rebounds. That's just not what the league is doing these days. It's not the wisest move to make it with your money. It's the same reason why we're lucky that Gordon Hayward is still back to what he used to be. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever you got to do. But the fact that you've got a guy who's getting buckets like that and still providing rebounds on defense as opposed to being a one-dimensional player, uh, you know, that's what I would rather have. I'd rather have a wing doing that than as opposed to a Steven Adams type. It's not showing up when it matters. And this was my point during all of the trade talks when everyone was saying, look for a big trade for a big. There isn't really a big, I mean, everybody says that Brad Stevens' offensive system is heavily predicated on point guard play. And it is, he elevates point guards to a new level. We've seen him do it with multiple point guards during his tenure with the Celtics. But he also heavily, uh, over the last two years, he's predicated a large share of that offensive scheme around a center so by bringing in a guy like like Stephen Adams, less so Drummond because he can facilitate from the high post quite efficiently and quite respectably, but a guy. But even then, like you can't run this team's offense with a guy like Drummond, Stephen Adams, Christian Thompson, because they don't have the basketball IQ or the the playmaking abilities to make that scheme work. You bring a guy like that in midway for a season once the team's got into what's the word I'm looking for here, Tim? I don't know. <laughs> once the team's got into like a role, they've got into their groove. That was the word I was looking for, groove. Then you risk messing up with that, messing up that entire chemistry, that entire offensive scheme, and then you need to start reworking that. So I'm kind of glad that they stood pat in terms of big men. I don't think that was a position of need as much as what the media made it out to be. Um, We'll talk about that more on the trade deadline buyout market special we'll do on an episode that's due to drop Wednesday. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll take a look ahead to the next game, which is against Houston, right? Yes, correct, on Tuesday, 9.30 p.m. (laughs) I'm sorry. 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. So what's that? 2.30 a.m. for me. I'm watching that the next day. We'll be back. Two thirty AM, dude. Now I'm watching that the next day, man. I'm, it's not happening. I am not staying up that late to watch a game. <laughs> as soon as I heard the time, I was like, eh, "Adam's definitely watching that in the morning." That's not happening in, <laughs> at night, no. Yeah, so I have a I have a system. I usually wake up around about five thirty AM my time, mm-hmm. uh, which is like just after like mid like half midnight, midnight zero mm-hmm. zero thirty for you guys. And then I'll watch it before work, take my notes, and then I'll do a rewatch while I'm at work. I'll sneak it in on my phone and mm-hmm. uh, just pick up on the key players that I've noted down. Yeah. Anyway, 
That's this is going to be another tough test for the team coming up against James Harden, Russell Westbrook. No Clint Capella, though. I mean, do they even have a center anymore? PJ Tucker, don't you know? They just guaranteed the rest of his deal. Yeah, I saw that. But <laughs> they got to do on, something really? for his knees, man. Come on. <laughs> I don't. I'm not that worried about them. I'm not huge on Russell Westbrook anyway. Um. I feel like the hero ball he plays is detrimental to a team more than it's positive to a team. I feel like the ball in his hands is taking it away from James Harden. It's clearly a more efficient scorer in terms of he doesn't just dominate games by holding the ball and not giving it to anybody unless it's for his stat line. Um, just throwing some shade. <laughs> I, I'm not that worried. Do you expect it? I expect it to be a tough game, but I expect it to be one that Boston can win as long as they stay healthy. A key point I want to bring up is there was a point in, the, I think it was the second or the third quarter of the Oklahoma game where Jalen Brown had to go to the bench because he was hobbling. Did you see that? He came back into the game. Yeah, and he tweaked his left ankle too. Yes. So he 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 tweet he retweaked the right ankle which he had tweaked in the Hawks game, and then he like overcompensated and tweaked his left one. He made a comment after the game saying, "I don't know which leg to hobble on. I don't know which way to limp." So like that, does it? He might be rested. He might not play. Um, I know if that if if he needs to not play in order to get those ankles healthy, I'm more than happy to go with the three musketeers instead of the four horsemen into that game. I think that's the better move, especially since you have the Clippers coming up on what Thursday. I'm actually going to that game. I'm going to the Clippers on Thursday. So that'll be a good one, but you have to worry about the Clippers too. So I'd much rather rest him. And this is the one thing that is the benefit of having all these wings and having all these guys that can play multiple positions is if somebody gets hurt and somebody needs rest, you can manage to play without them. I was surprised that the Celtics were able to hold off the Hawks the other night, but the Hawks were also banged up too. And this was another game where playing Jalen Brown was a questionable decision. He still had a decent game, but he ended up re-injuring his ankle and now he hurt his other one. So I think there's a really good chance he doesn't play on Tuesday and that's okay. I'd rather have him healthy for the Clippers. And right now it's just, they just got to get by, let him rest, get him home get him against LA. We can try and beat Houston without him. I think we can beat Houston without them. And as you said before with Russell Westbrook, as much as Russell Westbrook is an impressive athlete and an impressive competitor, I've said this for a really long time now, until he changes his mentality and the way he plays, it's not going to change for him. There's just too much in his game that is detrimental to team sports, to team basketball. He's much more obsessed about a stat line in terms of how many boards do I got? How many points do I got? Whereas I think James Harden is honestly at this point an offensive savant. You know, he gets contact when he needs it. He knows how to draw fouls. He takes an absurd amount of threes and sometimes it isn't exactly efficient, but he's a much better ball distributor when it comes to getting the team involved than Russell Westbrook. And that's really the one thing that we had a concern about with the Rockets getting into the season, how that Russell Westbrook, James Harden duo was going to work. And so far, I mean, they've been middle of the pack. What are they, fifth seed still? They're around about there. The thing I'm most interested to see is how much Cantor feasts on this team down low. Yeah, that's true. I expected more of him tonight, but they seem to roll with Tice more, and maybe we'll see that more in Houston as well on Tuesday. 
Yeah, Grant Williams should get some more minutes as well, just because the matchup will be more favourable to his skill set. And I like the fact we're seeing Romeo get minutes. I'd like to see a few more of those. I think he's starting to earn those minutes that Javante Green was getting earlier in the year. So I'm keen to see what they can do against a team like Miami. It's another benchmark. It's another heat check for the team in terms as a whole. Can you, okay, you got past OKC. Now can you get past Miami? Not Miami. Sorry, that was bad. Now can you get past Houston? <laughs> um, did you see that Woj bomb that just dropped? Uh, which one? It's nothing huge. Um, Tyler Johnson's been waived from the Phoenix Suns. I still, oh, yes, I did see that. Yeah, he's not going to be good in Boston. I did put one out yesterday about Dragon Bender, which everybody seems to resoundingly say no. So that's fine. I was just asking the question. I think, you know, we'll cover it more when we get into our buyout conversation on the next podcast. But I do like Jagan Bender, but the one issue that comes up, and it's something we talked about on Twitter as well when we proposed that question, who are you going to cut? Which comes down to either probably Vincent Poirier or Javante Green. Now, between the two, Poirier has guaranteed money next year. So unless you plan on using the stretch provision on that second year, you're going to be leaving dead money on the cap. Whereas Javante Green, you can waive without problem. You stretch it, you've got dead money over multiple years. When it's such a small amount, you'd probably rather just eat it into one year than stretch it over however many years the provision's for. And at the same time, that's still a gamble to go ahead and bring in a guy like Dragon Bender. Is he that much of an upgrade over Poirier or is he that much of an upgrade over Javante? I Not personally think... Yeah, exactly. And there's no way to know for sure if he'd pan out here. He's you don't interesting bring in a project. Least, but... You don't bring in a project off the buyout market to make an impact now because it's exactly. just not what you do. No, I think and, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much sums up what we needed to talk about. I'm keeping it quite short just because it's super late for me and I need to edit. Um, yeah, is sure. there any other points you wanted to touch upon? Um, no, I mean I think a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about in terms of buyout markets, as we were getting into a little bit there, I'll save those points for Tuesday. Okay, guys. Well, thank you for for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday with the buyout market and trade deadline special. This was a bit of a shorter episode just because of the time that we're recording. We wanted to make sure we record, recorded after the game. But then after the game, I jumped on the CLNS Media's post-game show, so you can go check that out too. And we'll be back on Wednesday with another episode. We'll catch you then. Peace. Later. <laughs>